Welcome to the Bayside Church Weekly Message audio podcast, Frankston. Well, good morning. How y'all doing? Good to be here. We're excited about the marriage conference. That's uh, tomorrow night and Tuesday night. We want to encourage you to come out and be a part of that. You guys will like this. This is a man-friendly conference. This is not one of these conferences that beats up on men for not being like women. And you women egg this on. All you got to do is ask most women to describe their ideal man. Listen to them. They will describe another woman. Someone who's sensitive, likes to go shopping, la, 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 la. They describe their favorite girlfriends. But men make terrible girlfriends. We can, however, make great men. Somebody say amen. Hallelujah. So uh, we're not broken, sick, disgusting perverts. We're, we're just men. <clears throat> and, uh, and we're going to have a lot of fun with it. Uh, and it's okay to have fun. Look at your neighbor and say, it's okay to laugh. It's okay to laugh. Everyone needs to lighten up a little bit. Uh, you single people should come. You'll love this. This, this. You should learn about crazy before you get there. <laughs> Seriously. And, uh, and it'll, it'll be good for you. You'll feel comfortable. It's not one of these marriage conferences where everybody holds hands and cow eyes each other. And, you know, none of that nonsense. And it's going to be very, very practical, very down to earth. Uh, if you have uh, non-Christian friends, they'll love it. Heathens love my seminars. So, uh, you know, invite them. It'll be fun. We're not going to hammer lots of Bible. It actually was a mistake the church has made for many decades now because we want to help people's marriages. And we've been convinced if we can just get people to focus more on Christ, that it'll help their marriage. And to a degree it will, but it doesn't always. See, there's a difference between this and this. Okay. And just focusing on this doesn't teach us how to do this. And it's amazing how much of the New Testament actually spends on this. How to get along with each other, how to relate, how to communicate, how to work together. Okay, just focusing this in itself won't do it. That's why there's so many Christians who really love Jesus, but they can't stand their husband. <laughs> there's pastors who love God dearly and can't stand their spouse. We all know these guys. And it's, and it's, and it's yeah, not you, but... But uh, it's, it's, it's really sad. So it's not just, so we're going to focus on this. How to get this done. If you're a teenager, you should come. You know, encourage your teens to come. Say, well, aren't you going to talk about sex? Well, we're going to talk about it, but we're not going to be graphic. Good heavens. If you don't know how to have sex and you come to my conference, you'll leave and you still won't know how to have sex. <laughs> Besides, they know more than you'd think anyway. So it'll be, it'll be good for them. Okay. Uh, this morning, uh, I, last, I was in Australia last year, and uh, I wrote a book when I was here, a very simple little book called The Beatitudes of Marriage. Now, it's a play off of Jesus gave his uh, Sermon on the Mount, his famous sermon, and right at the beginning, he gives his nine blessings. You know, blessed are the poor, blessed are the meek, blessed are the... They're called Beatitudes. Beatitudes is a fancy word for blessing, you know. So I wanted to come up with my nine Beatitudes for marriage, but they're not blessings. It's just a play off the word, beatitudes. Mine are attitudes you should be. They're be attitudes. All right. And uh, I'm a grandfather now. So, you know, I, I, I'm reading all these books to these little rugrats, you know, and they're these big books and they're illustrated and the stories, you know, and stuff. And, and I'm like, you know, I want to write a book like this. You know, guys will like it. Simple, short, and it has pictures. 
And uh, so, so I went ahead and did it. It's, it's designed like a children's book, and it's very simple. It's fun. Uh, now, it's not a children's book. Okay, don't, don't buy this for your children. <laughs> Traumatize your children. All right? Uh, they're just about the, the nine uh, attitudes you should have. We need to have the right attitude. The Bible says be con, uh, transformed by the renewing of your mind. We have to change the way that we think. The reason a lot of people struggle in life is they struggle with stinking thinking. So that's what we're trying to do is get people to think clearly. So I'm going to go through my nine Beatitudes very, very briefly this morning uh, with you. So let's take a look at these. Uh, number one, if you're going to have a good marriage. And by the way, these principles work for any relationships and working with people by and large. These are just good attitudes to have. So the number one attitude if you're going to have a successful relationship. Number one, be nice. Everybody say, be nice. Be nice. Now, for some bizarre reason, the closer we get to someone, the more convinced we don't have to be nice. And it's very bizarre. Uh, this happens with people at work. It happens in churches. Some of the people who fight the most are like the <laughs> elders and the board members and stuff like that. The closer you get, for some reason, people think it's okay to forget your faith. But you can't do that. A lot of people like that in their marriage. But a marriage license is not permission to be mean as a rattlesnake. And it is not permission to forget your faith. You still have to walk in kindness towards people. You need to be nice. But a lot of people say, I don't have to be nice. I'm married. You know. And, uh, and we go at each other's throat. And some of the nicest people in the world, sweet as can be, they wouldn't hurt a fly till you get them home. You know. People in church just singing, praising God till you get them home. And the demons come out. And they're yelling and barking at each other. Seriously, I, I, I'm not exaggerating. Some of the nicest people in the world, they wouldn't be nasty to a fly. When they get home, they go at each other. Because there's something wrong in our heads that says we have permission to be nasty. And we feel justified in being nasty. But you're not justified. You still have to walk in kindness towards everybody. You want to have a successful marriage? You need to be nice, for heaven's sakes. Because everybody's got their reason why they can't be nice, and you can hear it in the questions. What if my husband does this? What if my wife does that? What if my in-laws do such and such? Just be nice, okay? Now, I get it. We all have to deal with issues. Amen. That's what I'm saying. You get, we all have our issues, and we got to discuss, and sometimes you have fights and arguments. I understand that. That's normal. But it doesn't have to break down to being nasty. Now, a lot of this is because we bought into some very bad advice in Western culture for many decades. Now, the advice among so-called marriage experts is this foolishness that says this. In marriage, it's essential that you're honest with how you feel. How you feel. So you have people emotionally vomiting all over each other. You know, blah, 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 blah. And they feel totally justified to vomit on each other because I have to be honest with how I feel. It's the right thing to do. It is not the right thing to do. Your mama was right. If you don't have something good to say, don't say it. My wife and I just celebrated our 41st wedding anniversary. People said, how have you been married for 41 years? I always say it's because we're not honest with how we feel. I'm sure there's morning she wakes up, looks at me, and is convinced she's been blessed by God. I'm sure there's morning she wakes up, looks at me, and is convinced she married the spawn of hell. A simple good morning will suffice. 
don't need to hear all that. This attitude of just saying everything emotion that comes into your brain is insane. It is destructive. Stop it. For the love of God. No wonder some of y'all are so miserable in your marriages. Be nice. Yeah, well, it's the truth. Well, I don't care. You just don't go around spouting the truth at people. If you see someone who's really ugly, you don't come up to them and go, wow, you're ugly. All right, that's not nice, right? It might be true. Everyone might agree. But you don't say it. Little politeness, for heaven's sakes. And only in marriage are we so incomprehensibly stupid. Or yet to be honest with how we feel. You wouldn't do that in any area of life. It's a complete disaster. Can you imagine people tomorrow morning going to work based on how they feel? Calling their boss and saying, listen, boss, I'd, I'd really love to come to work today. I really would. But uh, I'm not feeling it. And, and I feel you're a moron. You would get fired. These musicians up here this morning playing skillfully. Isn't that great to listen to them? People say, oh, I wish I could play like that. No, you don't. Because you wouldn't want to do what they had to do to get there. Hour upon hour of mind-numbing, repetitive stupidity. That's why musicians are so odd. Because they do things that normal people would never do. You know, it's amazing they don't go crazy. Or they're already crazy, and that's why they play music. I don't know which one it is, but... Repetitive things. Most people don't continue taking their piano lessons. Why? They don't feel like it. Anybody go to school? You ever feel like studying? You know who asked themselves if they feel like studying? All the people who flunked out of school. <laughs> Successful people never ask themselves if they feel like doing it. Even musicians, I know some credible world-class musicians that practice seven hours a day of just mind-numbing scales. Enough to drive someone insane. Why do they feel like practice? Of course they don't feel. Nobody feels like doing that. They don't even ask themselves. Why would you ask you? What does it matter what you feel? This idea, we have this obsession in Western culture of feelings, and it's killing us. We need to stop. You can't be successful in your faith unless you overcome your feelings. It is going to be the undoing of us if we don't stop it. Snap out of it. Who cares how you feel? Your feelings are the most dishonest part of you. Why would you be honest with the most dishonest part of you? Because your feelings are up and down, up and down. That's how some people live their lives. Stop. We need to learn to just live by the right thing to do. Who cares if you feel like? Anybody feel like fasting? There's a good time. You know why a lot of people don't fast? They don't feel like it. A lot of the disciplines in life that bring success are absolutely antithetical to our feelings. People who live by their feelings are a disaster. And life always sucks the life out of them. And they feel totally justified because of their feelings. But it is bad advice. We need to shake it. And I'll tell you where it's really destructive. It's destructive in the culture of men. 
I don't know about Australia, but the United States is insane. We've been trying to turn men into women for the last 40 years over there. Trying to get everybody about their feelings. And if men would just be more touch with their feelings, be more feely touchy. And they're teaching boys in school, you know, Bobby, Bobby, how do you feel? Bobby, how did you feel when you punched Jimmy in the face? How did that make you feel, Bobby? And women push this because women don't understand. See, women tend to feel altruistic things. Women tend to feel good things. They really do. They think it would be great if men would just be more in touch with it. Now, you know, what you don't understand is men feel bad things. We feel very bad things. It's not good for a man to do what he feels. Women feel nice things. You want to help people. You want to encourage people. You know, you walk into a dirty room. Oh, let's clean this place up. You know, I've never been with a bunch of dudes ever. Walked into a dirty room and said, "Dude, you got a broom, man? Let's clean this place up." You know. When a man gets angry, we feel like punching you in the face. Best we not do that. A man sees a pretty girl, he feels like going. Best he not do that. In fact, the reason why I have so many badly behaving men is because they're doing what they've been taught by women to do. Follow their feelings. It's a disaster. You need to teach your boys that guys do the right thing. Doesn't matter how you feel. And what's the number one reason a boy doesn't want to do something? I don't feel like it. My son. Hey, go mow the lawn. I don't feel like it. <laughs> I don't care. Shut up and go do it. In fact, the more you don't feel like it, the more you ought to do it. You need to teach our young men you need to do the right thing. Quit being caught up in these feelings. They are not your friend. So number one, be nice. Number two, be content. Everybody say be happy. Be happy. Be, just be happy. Good Lord. Listen, if you think you cannot be happy until something changes in your life, you will always be a victim. And people live like this constantly. Oh, I can't be happy because I don't have a job. I can't be happy because I have bills. I can't be happy because I'm married to, you know, Satan's sister. I can't be happy because of this, and, and unless my husband changes, and my kids are demon-possessed, and everything's right, you know, I just can't, I just can't. Stop. And you girls, especially you single girls, good Lord. You think some boy's going to make you happy? <laughs> you have to understand, marriage was not designed to make you happy. It wasn't. This is delusional nonsense that people hear and watching chick flicks and stuff. Marriage is not designed to make you happy. If anything, it'll probably really irritate you. All right, but it's not about being happy. It's about doing life together. Finding someone and let's do life together because two is better than one. Who cares about being, you know, worrying about someone else making you happy? You're supposed to be happy in the first place. Our happiness is supposed to come from God. And you single girls thinking, oh, I know there's just that one soulmate out there. That one man that'll meet all the emotional needs of my heart and soul. <laughs> no such man exists. There's not a man on earth designed to meet all the emotional needs of a woman. But then people think that. And they get married and then she sticks a straw in his brain and, <laughs> and he's going, ah! Stop! 
What am I supposed to do? Get some friends, girls. Get a life. Good Lord. Trying to suck all the life you can out of some boy, some guy in your life, your husband. You're going to kill him. Stop it. You need to just be happy. Well, you can't be happy. We're supposed to be happy. You're born again. We have the life of Christ in us, right? The blessings of God, the promises of God, and you're not happy. Really? Listen to me. If you're single and you're a lonely, miserable soul, for the love of God, stay single. <laughs> Seriously, please, do us all a favor. Because all you're going to do is suck the life out of everybody around you. A lonely, empty, miserable soul that gets married is just a married, lonely, empty, miserable soul. It won't fix anything. God wants to be the one who fixes your soul. And listen to me, if there really was one special person out there that could meet all the needs of your heart and soul, trust me when I say that God would use all of his divine power to keep that person as far away from you as possible. Why? Because God is supposed to need, meet all the needs of your heart and soul. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. All right? It's not about that. Learn to be happy. Count it all joy, the Bible says. You know where Paul says, I can do all things through Christ? We love that verse, right? I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. We think that's a verse that means I'll be victorious and happy. All the That's not what that verse is. The context of that verse is Paul is talking about how miserable he was at times. He says, but I've learned the secret. Have you learned the secret this morning? He said, I've learned the secret, and that is to be content no matter what my circumstances. Whether I'm hungry or whether I'm starving. Whether I have a lot or whether I have nothing. Whether I'm sick or whether I'm well. I have learned the secret of being content no matter what. And immediately he says, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. The strength is to go through miserable. All right, and still be happy. That's the real testament of faith. Anybody can be happy when they got everything going good for them. Where's the testimony in that? The testimony of people is faith. We can celebrate God even when things are terrible. In fact, we're taught in the scripture to celebrate when things are terrible. That's what praise is, praising God when things are going bad. James said, count it all joy when you fall into miserable circumstances. The context is having a party. It's like calling all your friends and say, come over, we're going to celebrate. What are we celebrating? My life sucks. Whee! All right? Now, I know people, they can't do that. Everything is dependent on their circumstances. If things are not going well, they're not happy. If things are going well, they're happy. But it's just temporary because things will always not go well again. It's just the way of life. I tell people, look, enjoy your life. Even with his challenges, enjoy the journey you're on. Enjoy the road you're on. It might be a dead end. Say, how will I know, Pastor? When you get to the end. <laughs> right? You get there, it's a dead end. And you go, oh, that bites. Then you turn around and you find another road. And you grow and you love and you just enjoy life. Don't get caught up in the end results. That wonderful light you see at the end of the tunnel could be another train. <laughs> Here's an important one. Be connected. This is vital for Christian couples, and most don't understand this. If you want to have a successful marriage, a healthy marriage, you need to connect with other couples. You need to get some friends. 
Oh, well, we have friends. I have my friends, and he has his friends. No, 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 no. That's the problem. We all have dysfunctional crazy people that we call our friends because they think as stupid as we do. And no matter how dumb we are, they encourage us. That's why they're our friends, right? I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about couples friends. You get together with other couples and talk your crazy through with them. If you don't regularly meet with other couples and talk your crazy through, you are going to really struggle in your marriage. And then eventually, you'll be forced to go share with someone, usually a counselor or a pastor, and suck the life out of him. You know why? You can avoid all that if you'll just get some friends. Talk your crazy through. Marriage was never designed to be two people on an island. If it's just you and your spouse on an island, you will turn into cannibals and you will eat each other. <laughs> Get off the island. Talk, well, everybody, so, you know, in Christianity, we're so full of it, you know, we really love playing these games. Everything's good, everything's good, everything's good, everything. When you're struggling. And we need to be honest with each other. When life is hard, get together with other people. Christianity, the church should be a place where it's safe enough to fail. Somebody say amen. No, I know we play these games, you know. Some people come to church, they're yelling and screaming at each other, trying to cast the devil out of their kids in the back seat. Shut up, back They walk in the door, how you doing? Oh, praise God. Good, very good. Hallelujah. Everything's great. Yelling at each other the whole time to church. Put on that plastic face. Get rid of the plastic face. Start doing life. Connect with other people. They'll see stuff that you don't see. First of all, you'll find out they struggle with the same stupid stuff you do. And it's very encouraging. And they'll have a perspective you don't have. Because we get so mad when we're living with somebody. We're so close we can't see anything else. I want the temperature at 22. I want, she wants it at 20. And I want it at 22. She wants it at 20. Your friends will say, have you tried 21? No, I never thought of that. Here's an important one. Be prepared. Life is hard. Has anyone noticed this? It is hard. The Bible says, don't be surprised when horrible things happen to you as though some strange trial has come upon you. We teach faith, and I believe in faith and living a victorious life, but it doesn't mean you're not going to have problems. The Bible doesn't say that. Jesus said, in this life, you will have tribulations. Now, that's not a verse many people stand on. Lord, I'm trusting you for tribulations today. Praise God. Hallelujah. You're going to have tribulations. But be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. Don't get shocked when things bad. I mean, it's like, what planet do you live on? Of course bad things are going to happen to you. Be prepared. Life is hard. That's why you single people, when you're dating someone, find someone of character. Someone you can do life with. Don't get caught up in how cute they are. Character will last you a lifetime. Sexy has a shelf life. It does. Some of us have hit our expiration dates, I got to tell you. <laughs> Two versions of tough life. Sometimes life is unpredictable. That's version one. My wife, a few years ago, was going through cancer treatments. She was in the hospital with all this chemo. Almost killed her, actually. Finally got her home, and she goes to bed Saturday night, and she's just, you know, just like, all the drugs and being real quiet. The next morning I get up over, I look at her and she's just like, all the drugs. I quick get out and I go into the bathroom and I close the door because I gotta go, you know, preach and stuff. Go back in the toilet, close that door. I'm, I'm sitting on the can meditating, you know. Well, at the time I had a younger brother living with me. 
His wife had kicked him out of the house. He deserved it. Smart woman. But we're a Latino, and Latinos always live with family. You can't escape family. It's, they're everywhere. That's why it's hard to fill out those employment forms. You know, nearest relative not living with you. They all live with me. What am I supposed to do? So anyway, he's living with us. He's living in the basement. We call him the basement troll. He's supposed to be there nine weeks, nine months later. He's still there. And he's all depressed and down. And I don't have time. I got my own problems. And I'm yelling at him. <laughs> Apparently yelling at depressed people isn't helpful. <laughs> Who knew? You know? <laughs> but I got my own issues, you know. My wife's sick and something. He's getting all depressed. Ah, life is terrible. Ah, and he goes days and days without sleep. Finally, he has this manic break. We don't know what's going on. He starts hallucinating. And he comes into the kitchen and starts yelling and screaming at me and threatens to kill me. The only problem is I'm not there. I'm sitting on the can, you know. He's just hallucinating. Well, my wife wakes up and she hears him threatening to kill me. Well, she thinks I'm in the kitchen, scared for my life. So she calls the cops. You got to come right away. He's going to kill my husband. And then she's waiting, you know. Finally, I come out of the John, you know, wearing nothing but a T-shirt and a smile. <laughs> Sorry to put that image in your head. And uh, she looks up at me. What are you doing here? I live here. I thought you were in the kitchen. Your brother's trying to kill you. Well, now I think she's hallucinating. Right? Because of all the drugs. Well, the cops pull up. Oh, man. So we go running outside. Well, I put on some pants first. And we go running outside. And, and the cop looks at me and says, sir, is someone trying to kill you? And I look at the cop. And I look at my wife. And I look at the cop. Now, you know that look your wife can give you? That I'm going to kill you look. Yeah. You should see that look when you're trying to tell a cop right in front of her that she's crazy. This is not a good look. As a, listen, man, she's on drugs. And, just, ah, 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 you know, and she's just furious. You know, I'm trying to explain that she's just probably imagining all this. When all of a sudden, cop cars come zooming in front of our house. Lights on. They jump out of the car. They got their weapons pulled. They're surrounding the house. I'm like, what's going on? He said, he just called in and said he's going to blow up the building. And my wife looks at me and goes, I told you. <laughs> oh, man. But now all I'm thinking is, what do the neighbors think? It's Sunday morning in front of the pastor's house. Cops everywhere, lights going, guns pulled. I could picture the old people across the street looking out their curtains going, I knew they had a crack house in there or something. <laughs> something wrong with those people, you know. Anyway, they finally went and got him. He's doing much better now. <laughs> what did you do? We laughed. We just laugh. We don't feel like God has abandoned us because things go badly. We've learned the secret, you see. Sometimes life is unpredictable. The other problem is sometimes life is very predictable. Again, this is a problem for women because nothing drives a woman more crazy than having to deal with the same problems over and over again with a man. And it drives them nuts. They said, hey, pastor, 
Why do I keep having to deal with the same problem with him over and over again? I said, it's because he's still breathing. <laughs> hang on. He has to die eventually. Just hang on. <laughs> now, why it drives women crazy, I don't understand. Because everything in a woman's life is cyclical. Every week, the same kind of things. Every time with her children. Everything with work, the house, everything. God even gave you your own monthly cyclicals. You know, I mean, just... Everything's cyclical. For some reason, when it comes to a man, ah, you can't handle it. Just relax. The truth is you'll probably revisit the same issues over and over and over and over again until you die. Just make the adjustment. Don't get bitter and angry and crazy about it. Just, you know, straighten it out and move on and wait for it to come around again. <laughs> Be prepared. Quit living in fantasy land. Life bites sometimes. Here's an important one. Be proactive. The Bible says, God is not mocked. You will reap what you sow. I don't care how cute you think you are. I don't care how much money you've got. I don't think how smart you think you are. I don't care how spiritual you think you are. You will never escape the eternal truth that you will reap what you sow. And if your life stinks, it's undoubtedly because you are doing stinking things. Now, we don't like to hear that. I want to think it's somebody else's fault. I just need to know the right prayer or something. I'm telling you, we don't do the right things. We need to learn. That's part of the Christian discipline, learning to do the right things. And in marriage, if your marriage stinks, it's because you're doing stinking things. It's just that simple. Now, it's not to make you feel bad. We're going to show you what to do. That's what the conference is for. This is how you do it. It's not that complicated. But when you don't know what to do, you just get frustrated and go crazy. That's why we have these conferences. This is how you do it. Oh, okay. All right, you got to be proactive. You want a good marriage? Come to this conference. Oh, we don't know to need to come to this stupid conference. Look, unless your marriage is so good you can't stand it to be any better, then you can stay home. We hate you guys. All right, but the rest of you, if you could use some help, come. Here's an important one be clear. Everybody say, be clear. Now, here is a problem. Usually the most emotive person in the relationship, usually the woman, but not always. Oftentimes it's the guy. The guy's much more emotive and whoever's real talky through with their feelings and blah, 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 blah. The problem with the emotive person is they always think they're being clear when they're not. Because the emotive person is so aware of their emotions. They can't imagine you can't see it. But they can't. You have to be clear. Habla inglés. All right? Speak English. Be clear. Are you mad? You know I'm mad. I told you. When did you tell me that? Remember when we were talking and I went. <sighs> <laughs> I thought you had gas. <laughs> you need to be clear. Just because you feel it so strongly is not being clear. Men and women both struggle with this. Now, a lot of times it's the woman. So in an effort to help the women this morning, I want to show you women three simple steps, how you can get a man to do what you want him to do. All right, you might want to write this down. <laughs> how to get a man what you want him to do. Number one, ask for what you want. Well, if he really loved me, he would know what I want. <laughs> no. 
And the moon doesn't really follow you when you drive at night either. <laughs> Be clear, men do not have ESP. We have ESPN, totally different. <laughs> Ask for what you want. Don't expect him to notice it. Don't expect him. He should just know. He should sense. He should tell. No, say it. Number one, ask for what you want. Number two, you need to ask more than once. <laughs> Asking a man to do something once is like never having asked him to do it at all. <laughs> Women say, why is that? Why is it? Why do I got to keep repeating myself? Why, why, why? Because we don't want to do it. <laughs> this is such a mystery to you. Here's a newsflash, girls. If we wanted to do it, we'd have done it already. And why do you care what he wants anyway? See, it's not so much that he doesn't do it. You want him to want to do it. We don't want to do it. Why do you care what he wants? I have people who work for me. I don't care what they want to do what I say. Do it. I don't care about the motivations of their heart. Besides, we're men. We're in man world. We're just tick, 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 tick. And your wife says, honey, will you do such and such for me? And his left brain says to his right brain, you hear something? Right brain goes, no. Tick, 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 tick. Just say it again. Well, that's nagging. That's not, what do you care? You guys complaining about it snagging. If she asks you three, four, four times, you get tired of doing it, hearing it, then do it. Shut up. Quit whining. <laughs> number one, you got to ask for what you want. Number two, you got to ask for more than once. And then number three, you need to ask without insulting. What's the matter with you? Can't you pick up the laundry? Nope. <laughs> I wish I could. I just can't do it. <laughs> that is not helpful. Now, I know what some of you spiritual girls are thinking. No, no, if I had a godly man, a godly man, praise God. I wouldn't have those problems if I had a godly man, Pastor. Godly. You mean like God? Oh, forget about your stupid husband for a minute. Let me ask you about you and God. Now, if you want something from God, what's the first thing you have to do? You have to ask for what you want. Even though Jesus said, God, unlike your husband, actually knows what you want before you ask him. But if you don't ask him, you ain't getting jack squat out of God. Number two, what did Jesus teach us? You need to ask more than once. That proves God's a man right there. And number three, you don't insult God. Hey! <laughs> Apparently your husband's more godly than you thought. <laughs> be doers. We don't have the time to get into all this. We're running out of time. But you got to be doers. You got to do it. Thinking the right thing, believing the right thing, and feeling the right thing doesn't mean jack if you won't do 
the right thing. Next one is be patient. Marriage is a dance that's perfected over time. And be encouraged, girls. You eventually can get a man where you want him. That's the good news. The bad news is then he dies because it <laughs> took so long to get him there. Marriage is a dance that's perfected over time. You ever go to a wedding and you watch people dancing slow dances? And you watch the young people dancing? They're just terrible. They waddle like penguins back and forth. Uh, but then you watch the older couples as they spin and twirl around the room. Why? Because they've learned each other's moves, you see. That's marriage, a dance that is perfected over time. It takes time. Really, really, really long time. Be patient. And finally, be dead. So what does that mean? Look, it's impossible to read the New Testament. And now the problem is a lot of people don't read the New Testament. We don't read the Bible, Pastor. We read about the Bible. We read books that tell us about the Bible. We listen to idiots like me talk about the Bible. But you need to actually read it. And I mean read it, not just jumping around your favorite verses. No, stop it. Read it. And it's virtually impossible to read the New Testament without coming away with a sense that God wants to kill you. Not the physical you, but the selfish part of you. If you read all of it, you'll see all the verses about dying to yourself, picking up your cross, laying down your life. Do you know why God wants us to die? Because dead people are very easy to get along with. They are. You can ignore them all day, they don't care. You can poke them with a stick, they never hit you back. Very patient dead people. Jesus even gave the parable. Unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. Boy, if that doesn't describe a lot of people today. A lot of Christians who are planted into the earth but they won't let go. And it stays alone, Jesus said, very alone. It's dark, it's cold, they can't move, they come to their pastor, pastor. <coughs> There's dirt everywhere in my mouth, pastor. It's so dark in here and it's, <coughs> it's cold, I can't see anything. What do I do, pastor, what do I do? Die already. Because if you will let go and let God, Jesus says, new life will burst out of you. You'll climb out of the dirt and into the sunshine of his glorious grace. And while I am going to share with you and show you how you can succeed very greatly in your relationships, make no mistake, nobody gets everything that they want. In fact, God doesn't even want you to get everything that you want. Because the Christian message is you need to learn to die to yourself. Oh, I believe you can be greatly blessed and have much more success than you would otherwise. But you can't go at this just purely selfish. You want to succeed? Try to understand. And I'd always struggle so much to be understood. Because if we will learn to let go and let God, we will experience new life. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, for your truth. And for the challenge that's before us, Lord, it's tough to get along with people. <laughs> it really is. And the closer we are, the more struggles can come with it. But help us, Lord, to walk in love, kindness, 
patience, all these fruits of the Spirit designed to help us to succeed with people. Father, help us to learn to not be so selfish. Help us learn to let go and to let God so that we can break out of the cold, dark dirt, dirt and into the sunshine of your glorious grace and to be able to live the kind of life that others will look and be envious and say, wow, how do you live like that? And we'll have a great opportunity to share your glorious love with them. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen. God bless you. We hope you enjoyed listening to this weekly message audio podcast. If you'd like to listen to more messages and find out more information, check out our website at www.baysidechurch.com.au. Church has changed. Check it out.